Philippians 2, verse 14. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Man, I'm already under conviction, and I hate even, we hadn't even got started. Anybody else with me? All right, all right. I, told, I tried to get you to praise the Lord just a minute ago, all right? Because it's rough from here on out, okay? Verse 15, that ye may be blameless, harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. That's our text. Let me give you my title, and then we'll get into the message. I want to title it this, The Damage of Division. The Damage of Division. You say, well, I thought this was about complaining and, and, and arguing. Well, how many of y'all know that causes division? <laughs> That's the context here. And we're going to leave it in context here, this chapter. And I want to look at these things together. Father, we love you. I pray that you bless your word. Help me, touch me, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Lord, and use me, God. And I pray that you take the word of God and uh, do a work in our hearts. And uh, Lord, if there's somebody here lost, I pray they'd be saved. Somebody here backslid and cold on you, God, I pray that they would experience revival, renewal, refreshment today. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love Psalm 133. The psalmist says that it's good and pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. That's not exactly quoted, but it's a good thing. It's a pleasant thing when brethren are dwelling together in unity. Well, I guess the reverse of that would be true as well, wouldn't it? It's a bad thing, and it's an unpleasant thing when there is division and when there are schisms and when there are, are uh, separations between the people of God. And I'm saying that and bringing up the issue and the theme of division because that is the theme of what is going on here. In fact, you'll have to go all the way back to verse 27 of chapter 1 when Paul begin, really begins the, the meat of this letter, the theme of this letter where he is telling them that, they, that his prayer for them is that they would stand fast in one spirit and with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then down into verse 2 and 3 and, uh, and 4 of, of chapter number 2, he wants them to be like-minded, verse 2 says, having the same love, being of, one of core, being of one accord and one mind. The theme here is for them to be united and to be of one accord, one spirit, like-mindedness, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And of course, we noted here, as Paul began to unfold this thing, that that is only realized through humility. There has to be humility of mind if there's going to be unity in the body. And Jesus is our example of that. Of course, the, the, the wise man in Proverbs told us that only by pride cometh contention, right? When there is friction, when there is faction, when there is division, when there is disunity and discord amongst the people of God, you can always find pride as the culprit. Pride is always 
at the bottom of it somewhere. Contention is fueled by pride and unity is fueled by humility. And it appears as though Paul is addressing some deficiencies in this church when it came to this unity through humility. They were obedient, and we looked at that last week, how he commended their obedience in verse number 14. They've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. In fact, their obedience, their service is at an all-time high, but yet it seemed like unity was suffering a little bit in the the church. And uh, their attitude in which they obeyed, they were obedient, they were doing the right things. Now listen to me now. They were doing the right things, but the attitude in which they were obeying was not altogether right. Now listen, here's a principle. This is what we highlighted last week and it, it bleeds into this message this morning too. And that is this. God not only cares about what you do, He cares about your attitude in which you do what you do. Not just your obedience, but your attitude, right? We looked at it last week. God loves a giver, but He loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. Your attitude makes a difference. Uh, that church at Ephesus, they, their love was right, or their, their, uh, their, their, their uh, uh, works were right, their doctrine was right, but their love was not right. God not only cares about what you do, but your attitude as well. If you do what you do for God, and you cross every uh, uh, T, and you dot every I, and you fill every line, and you check every box, but your your attitude stinks to high heaven. Listen, God's not pleased with that. And you got pride oozing out all over you and you do it because you want to be recognized and you want to be seen. And so you keep uh, some kind of a status or reputation amongst the, um, amongst the community, of uh, the church community. Listen, that is not right in the sight of God. He cares not only what you do, but why you do it and how you do it. And that's the, that's the idea here. And that's why the command is in verse number 12. Notice this. Look, this is what we looked at last week. The command is in verse number 12 to work out your own salvation. And we talked about what that means. And here it said, do it with fear and trembling. It's humility, the fear of God. And then our text this morning, he says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And so verse number 12, he says, do it with this. And verse 14, he said, do it without that. There are things that must accompany your obedience and there are things that must abandon your obedience if it's going to be right in the sight of God. I circled those little prepositions in my Bible. Do it with Fear and trembling. Do it without murmurings and disputings. There are things that you ought to serve God with and there are attitudes that you ought to serve God without. Now our issue at hand in verse number 14, and by the way, obviously this was an issue at Corinth over in verse number 2 of chapter 4. He calls out two women by name and says, hey, y'all aren't on the same page. Chapter 4, verse 2, check it out. He said, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not together on this. You're not in a like-minded uh, attitude. There's a schism there, and he calls them out by name. Some of y'all get mad at the preacher to do that. Amen. Calling people out by name. Well, we don't do that. I've never been in a service. I've never, I don't think I've ever been in a service where the preacher said, Hey, you and you, y'all need to get on, y'all need to get this thing together. Y'all need to quit fighting. Amen. But that's what Paul did. Amen. <laughs> what if what if he called out like a husband and wife? Amen. Wouldn't that be funny? Amen. <laughs> Anyways, all right, let's move. But the issue at hand, what is it? It's murmurings and disputes. So that's what he's talking about. Do it without. Leave this out of your obedience. If you're obeying God, but you're murmuring and complaining, disputing and all that, he said, this is, this is not the will of God. 
And it actually causes damage, and that's what he talks about in this text, and we'll get to that in just a minute. minute. Murmuring. What is murmuring? Well, we all know what it is. Murmuring. It's grumbling is what it is. It's muttering secretly. secret debate. It's not just complaining, but it's complaining under your breath. How many of you know in grammar, in grammar uh, maybe you learned this in, in English class, how many of you know what an automatopoeia is? I didn't cuss, and I'm not speaking in tongues, all right? Automatopoeia. You know what that is? It's a word where its definition, uh, the word sounds like what its definition is. Kind of like wham or schmack or drip or swish. That's what an automatopoeia is. This word is actually an automatopoeia. The word murmur uh, is an automatopoeia. It actually, it sounds like what it is. Murmur, 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 murmur. Under your breath, grumbling. It's like a half, half suppressed complaint. It's not all to get. Now we complain in our minds, no doubt about it. And God can hear that too. But this murmuring is when it's just going blah, 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 blah. You read Acts chapter number 6 when there were some people that were being neglected, felt like they were being neglected and, and the, the widows and the Grecians and all that and there was a murmuring that arose in the church. Acts 6.1 Murmurings. Murmurings. You can read the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to talk about that here in just a minute because that's really a class. I mean, that, 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 that's, a, that's a whole uh, case study in itself of murmuring is the children of Israel in the Old Testament. We ain't got time to go into all of it, but I will say something about them in a minute. They murmured in the wood. Murmur, 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 Murmuring, grumbling, complaining. What's disputing? Disputing is arguing. It's deliberating. It's debating. Either debating with yourself or debating really with others. And I think that's really the context here since there seems to be some divisiveness in the church and people fussing and fighting even though they're doing good things but yet there's fussing and fighting going on at the same time. And I tell you what, this complaining and arguing, that's what he's talking about here. Pretty much summed up, Paul is speaking about complaining and arguing. And if you've been in church any length of time at all, you know Paul's message here is not relegated to just 2,000 years ago. This is relevant, right? Because wherever there's people, there's complaining and murmuring and arguing. Wherever, if, you got, if you got more than one kid, you know what I'm talking about. Complaining and arguing and fighting. I feel like all I say all day long is, y'all quit, y'all stop, y'all leave each other alone. Stop doing that. Come on now, anybody can bear witness with that right there? Amen. Parenting and pastoring is not that much different. Amen. Amen. There's always something going on. It's just wherever there's people. It's a people problem. It's common demand. And see, both of these sins here, murmurings and disputings, both of these sins, they cause division in the body of Christ. It takes one problem, maybe that everybody has, and then it turns it into a hundred problems because it starts little factions and divisions and people start lining up. Murmuring, for instance, it inflames a problem. Instead of seeking a solution, it usually, it usually starts with a problem that everybody has, but some people, instead of seeking a solution and trying to fix it, they'd rather go around and complain about it. That's what you see in the children of Israel, and I'll show you that here in a second. But it, it, it inflames the fires of discontentment amongst the group. And what's amazing is murmurers, they always flock together. They always find each other. It's like this little beacon goes off when somebody's discontent and they start murmuring. Beep, beep, beep. And this little radar thing. And they just all find each other and they just all get together. And they like, murmurers like to get together in little groups and they just murmur, 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 murmur. And just murmur together. 
complain. And there might be a problem. I, thought, I probably ought not to say this, but I'm going to. Maybe the Lord will forgive me later. But I thought, man, this guy, this guy, they don't go here anymore. But man, he, he was upset that there wasn't enough grass growing on this hill that we spent all this money on out here. I was upset too about it. I mean, just be honest about it. It wasn't looking as good as what I thought I looked at. But I found out like from seven, four or five different people that he went and talked to. He never come to me, but he went and talked to other people and he was murmuring and complaining about, about the grass not growing on the hill. And I, I heard about it from four or five other people. Now, he wouldn't ever come say nothing to me about it. But it's almost like, I guess he thought maybe I had the power to make grass grow on a hill. I wish I did have that power. In fact, if I had any kind of semblance of that power, I would make it grow like hair on my head. That's what I'd be doing. Forget the hill, man. Let's talk about this head right here. And so, you know, go around here, mar, 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 complain. We spent this money, and just murmur everybody. And, but we had that, and on the flip side of that, we had a man like Brother William Elliott back here who was, I guess, upset about the same thing. But instead of going around and complaining to everybody about it, you know what he said? Hey, preacher, I'm going to bring my crew over here and we're going to sow some more grass on the hill. Boom shakalaka. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Or, man, I miss Brother Ace so bad. <laughs> Could be like Brother Ace. He wasn't going to murmur around and complain to anybody else. It's just every time I walk by him, he's like, we need to put some lime on that hill. You know? <laughs> I'd rather you just do that. Amen. <laughs> That's not murmuring. That's seeking a solution. Put some lime on that hill, preacher. All right, I can just I don't even know what he's talking about. I'm thinking out here like cutting fruit and squeezing it on the hill. Lime, I don't know. I don't know, man. I I worked at Chick-fil-A before I was a preacher. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about, man. I miss Brother A so bad. Good gracious. But instead of, instead of seeking a solution and doing something about it, you can go around and say, can you believe that grass ain't growing on a hill over there? You believe that grass ain't growing on a hill over there? You believe that grass? That's murmuring. You know what it does? It causes division. It causes division. Amen. Seek a solution, not to flame the fires of the problem. Amen. That's murmuring, disputing. That's openly arguing. You know, the disciples, they disputed amongst themselves. Who would be the greatest, right? Paul tells the church uh, at Rome, and we'll get to to Romans 14. He said, those that are weak in the faith, don't receive them to doubtful disputations. So these these, these little areas of Christian liberty, don't be arguing about all that junk. there's There's no place for that. Complaining and arguing... All, it, all they do is they seek to cause division in the church. Both of them are enemies to the unity of the local church. And let me tell you why that's a bad deal. Okay, It's right here from the text. God hates those that sow discord among the brethren. He don't like that. They cause division and that causes problems. Here's the problem with the murmurings and the complaint and the division that it causes in the, in the local church. Number one, you ready? Three things right here in the text. Number one, it grieves our God. It grieves God. That's, that's the worst part about it altogether. Verse 14 is a command from God. If there's no other reason, we should be able to shut our Bible and go home. God said, don't do it. And if He said, don't do it, then don't do it. And when we disobey God, it grieves Him. 
It grieves Him. Our disobedience grieves the Lord. It makes Him sad. Isn't that amazing? I don't understand everything there is to know about the person of God, but I know this, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And God the Father can be grieved. Jesus, when He was on this earth, in His earthly ministry, there were times when He was grieved, He was sad, He wept. That that thing about grieving God, by the way, those Old Testament, those Old Testament uh, Israelites, they murmured all the time. They murmured at the Red Sea. We ain't got time to go, go look at all that. There's a whole message. I think I've preached about murmuring from then before, but there's a, they always, always murmur. They murmur at the Red Sea. What are we going to do? He brought us out of Egypt. This is to kill us. We're all going to die. Murmur. They murmur when they were thirsty, and they murmur when they were hungry, and they murmured because of the manna, and they got tired of mammon, they, the, the manna, and they murmured because they, 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 couldn't, they didn't think they could go into Canaan and take over the giants and take over the land that God had given to them and promised to help. And they constantly murmured and complained, and they doubted God. And notice, this is what Asaph said in Psalm 78. Listen to what Asaph said, 78 Psalm about about the children of Israel, Psalm 78, 40, he said, How often they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert. Their murmuring grieved God. Now their murmuring made God mad. It made God mad. It angered God. And that's, clear. That's, that's in the Bible as well. And they murmured against God. And it made God mad. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. That murmuring and that complaining riled up the anger of God. There were plagues on the spies that came back with evil report. Death in the wilderness for all the murmurers that went along with the evil report. At one point, fiery serpents came out and, 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 and thousands were under the judgment of God. for mur- it, 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 it makes God mad, but more than that, it grieves God. I don't want to make God mad. We ought to fear Him, right? Work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We ought to fear Him. I don't want to make God mad. But I definitely don't want to grieve God. That's, that's when there's that relationship is right with God, when you really do not want to it's not It's not, oh man, I don't want to murmur and complain because what God will do to me. No, it's like, no, I don't want to murmur and complain because what I'll do to God. It's not that God's going to hurt me. It's that I'm going to hurt God. Grieves his heart. Why does he take it so personal? I'll tell you why. Because everything you have comes from God. Everything you have, every, every blessing you have, every, your circumstances, your situations, it is the providence of God, it's the sovereignty of God, it is the, is the plan of God. Listen to me now, and when you start complaining about your situation, ultimately who you're complaining about is God. You're saying one of two things when you complain, and you can do a study of the children of Israel, you'll find this to be so. When you complain, you're either saying one or two things or both things. And you're saying this, number one, God doesn't care. He doesn't care about where I'm at. He doesn't care about what I'm going through. He doesn't care about this situation. Or number two, you're saying not only God doesn't care, but you're saying God is not able to provide for me in this situation. You're complaining about your circumstances. That's exactly what the children of Israel did. When they were at the Red Sea, they started murmuring. Why? That's it. God, God, God brought us out of Egypt just to kill us. That was a smear on the character of God. God is going to let us die of thirst in the wilderness. That was a smear on the character of God. God's going to let us die of hunger in the wilderness. That was a smear on the character of God. 
God, we're tired of this manna that you've given us. That was a smear on the character of God. And when you complain and murmur and argue amongst yourself, you are smearing the character of God and what He has provided for you. You understand everything you have come from God? Your life comes from God. Your job comes from God. Your home, that means your spouse and your children, that is a gift of God. Amen. Your church is a gift of God. Amen. And I'm not saying this to be self-serving, but this is just Bible. Even the leadership, pastor and things like that, it's a gift from God. Amen. Amen. And when you complain about things and murmur and grumble, you're not complaining about the gift. Ultimately, you're complaining about the giver. You give somebody a gift and they just complain about it, that hurts you personally because you're the one that gave it. It grieves God. It grieves our God. Number two, not only does it grieve our God, but secondly, as we get into the text here, we'll find out that it tarnishes our testimony. It grieves our God. Grumbling and complaining, this divisiveness through grumbling and complaining, it grieves God, but secondly, it tarnishes our testimony. Notice verse number 15. He tells them to do all things without murmuring and disputing. Verse 14. Verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Notice these words that are used in verse 15. He uses the word blameless. You know what that word means? It means faultless. It means free from fault or defect. It means irreproachable, not bringing reproach. That word harmless, it means unmixed. It means pure, innocent, free from evil, without rebuke. It's the same thing as blameless. Behaving as the sons of God, he said. A behavior that is becoming of one that is a child of God. All these things are different words and we could talk about the nuances of all of them, but they all speak about how we live. And here's the implication of this verse right here. How you act with this murmurings and disputings and how you respond and how you go about your business and not only serving the Lord, but how you serve the Lord can ruin your testimony if you don't watch it. If you do it with murmurings and disputings, it causes you to be full of blame, full of fault, not acting like a child of God, and deserving of rebuke. Isn't that amazing how complaining and murmuring, arguing, all this stuff, it actually makes you the one at fault. Because isn't that ironic? Because most of the time what we're murmuring about is the faults of other people. But when you respond to somebody else's faults with murmurings and arguments, complaining, you're the one at fault. Because he said, if you'll be without murmurings and out disputings, that'll cause you to be blameless, harmless, innocent, pure, without rebuke. How about that? The sons of God. Paul is not only emphasizing what it does to your Christian character, but the emphasis here is what it does to your testimony. This is a gospel witness issue. The point is this, is that you cannot shine your light in a dark, wicked world while you're complaining and grumbling. It kills your testimony. You can't witness. You can't shine. Isn't that what he said? How many of y'all believe that we live in a crooked and perverse world? 
That just simply means warped. That's what the word crooked means. Warped, twisted, perverse, distorted. That's what that means. We live in a world that's twisted and crooked and perverse and awful. Listen, and if you're going to shine as a light in this dark world, your murmuring and your complaining and your constant divisiveness, it causes you just to be just as crooked as the rest of them. Amen. I'll tell you what this world's longing for and what they don't see much of is a group of people that love each other unconditionally. They don't stab each other in the back. They're not murmuring and complaining about each other and murmuring and complaining about things. That's where, you know why? Because that's not the way this world operates. And when the church is operating just like the world, we've dimmed our lights. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is a witnessing issue. This is a testimony issue. And even the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how pure your doctrine is. Listen to me now. I don't care how, good, I don't care how pure your doctrine is. I don't care how many standards you have. You can have standards out the wazoo of where you won't go and where you go and what you'll wear and what you won't wear. But if you're a jerk, nobody cares. Is that okay? <laughs> You'll ruin it. You'll ruin it. It doesn't matter these things. If you're complaining and arguing all the time, if you divide and devour and destroy the people of God, the people that you say that you're supposed to love, the world sees no difference between us and them. You can't be crooked and perverse in your attitude and expect to shine brightly and distinctly in a crooked and perverse world. Amen. Because that's exactly what divisiveness is. It is a warped, distorted, crooked, perverse version of Christianity. It's not the real thing. Now, I want to make it real clear. People go to hell because they reject Christ. That's why people go to hell. People go to hell because of unbelief. And, I, I really, you know, and I've heard people imply this, and I, I'm not real crazy about it just because it's not exactly right. Sometimes a preacher or somebody will imply, they'll say, you know, somebody might go to hell because of you. Well, they're not going to go to hell because of me. They're going to go to hell because they reject Jesus. But now they might reject Jesus because of me. I might be the, I might be the reason somebody is turned off. I remember not long after I moved here, and I, I, I probably shouldn't bring this up either, but I believe it's right. Not long after moving, I invited a man to church here. And he said, oh, that's that church where it's so and so, and he called something that somebody did around here. I hate it. I hate that with all my heart. But I'm going to tell you something. Complaining, arguing, divisiveness, it just kills the testimony of Jesus. He said, holding, the next verse is really continues the thought. Holding forth the word of life. That's what we have. Now, some other versions change that to hold fast the word of life, but that ain't what he's talking about. We ought to hold it fast, like, you know, hold on to it. But it says holding it forth. We have, I'm going to tell you something, man, don't get excited, but we got something to offer this world. It's the word of life. You say, what does that mean, word of life? Well, it means it's alive, it means it gives life. It means it'll live forever and ever and ever. This is the Word. I believe, I don't know what you believe, but I believe this Bible is the only answer to this world's problems. Amen. But if you're holding forth the Word of life and you ain't got a life that's backed up by the Word, you might as well just put it down. Amen. Everybody all right? I'm just telling you, it kills your testimony. It will tarnish your testimony. You will not be able to shine brightly in this world 
when you're complaining and arguing. Amen. That's exactly right. Number three, and I'm done. Not only does it grieve our God, it tarnishes our testimony, but thirdly, it robs our rewards. It robs our rewards. Isn't that what he said? Look at the end of verse number 16, or after the first phrase. He said, here's what Paul said, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. He said, here's what Paul said, I want you to obey with the right attitude and the right spirit because there's a day of Christ that's coming. So Paul brings up this thing of the day of Christ. Now here's just a little side note for you Bible students. Just jot this down. Normally, usually, most of the time, when, it talk, when the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, that's judgment on unbelievers. Okay? When the Bible talks about the day of Christ, that's talking about judgment of believers. That's the judgment seat of Christ. Day of the Lord is speaking of God's judgment on this world and, and, uh, and the unbelieving world. The day of Christ is the judgment of believers. By the way, I don't care. You can, listen, you say, well, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about judgment. Oh, no, friend. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive those things which are done in our body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. 1 Corinthians 3, you look that up. We ain't got time to take time to go there, but Paul lays it all out. The wood, the hay, the stubble, the gold, the silver, the precious stones. He's going to pile it all up together, and it's all going to be weighed. Not our sins. Thank God we won't have to give an account for our sins. Jesus paid for that. All the judgment for our sins was laid on Christ when it was three hours of darkness on Calvary. Thank God for it. But what you did for the Lord. And He won't be weighing just what you did. He'll be weighing those attitudes. And those spirits. He's going to, here's what Paul said. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna measure it all, not what size it is. He said, but what sort it is. I'm going to tell you something. God knows how to sort it all out. You might fool the preacher, fool the teacher. Fool, you can fool your parents. You can fool your spouse. You can fool the community. That's exactly, you can fool yourself. I'm going to tell you somebody you cannot fool. You cannot fool Jesus. John said when he saw him in a revelation, he had eyes like fire. And those fiery eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ will try every one of our works. Amen. What we did. Amen. And they'll be categorized as things that will survive the fire or they'll be categorized as things that will not. And they'll burn up. Can you imagine that? A life's work, a life's ministry, a lifetime of church attendance and and, 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 and cleaning and witnessing and all, oh man, I, I volunteered at Camp Me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine volunteering in the nursery for 30 years? Only to have it all go up and smoke one day. That would burn me up. Amen. No pun intended. <laughs> but he said, I'll tell you what that bad attitude will do, that grumbling and complaining. Here's what it'll do it'll cause you, you don't, you don't get anything for it. Now, Paul here is speaking of himself. And that's very interesting how he bring that up. He said, your action, how your attitude, how you respond, that's going to reflect on me at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I don't like this verse, but I'm going to preach it because it's in the Bible. He said, the way you act is going to reflect on me. I'm, I'm over you in the Lord. I led you to Christ. I'm over you. I have, I have some responsibility for you. He said, and if you don't shape up, he said, that's going to cause my labor and my race here, my, my running here to be in vain. You know what vain means? That means nothing. Empty. 
I don't like it. Some of y'all wonder, why is the preacher even, why is he so much, why, why is he even concerned about how, why it shouldn't even matter to the preacher how I live? Uh, what? If you're a member here and I'm your pastor, I got to give an account for, for you to God one day. To an extent, right? That's what the Bible says. They give an account for your soul. Well, the preacher care if I'm here at church or not. It shouldn't matter to him. It matters everything to me. Your, your, your holiness, your sanctification, your manner of life, your labor for the Lord, it matters to me. Why? Because I could, I, I could have potentially preached to you for years and years and years and years. And I get to the judgment seat of Christ. And it was all in vain. Because you didn't take it and do something with it that you should have done. He said, I want to rejoice in the day of Christ. You know what? I, I, want, I, want, I want you to live right. I want you to live holy. I want you to have the right attitude. I want you to serve God right. Listen, so that when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you get some gold, silver, and precious stones that survive the fire. You get some rewards. And then you know what I can do? I can come alongside of you and I can rejoice at the judgment seat of Christ with you. And we can rejoice together. Because I get a little, I get a little bit. It's called residual income. It's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Just kidding. But I get a little bit of that, right? And by the way, it's the same people for. It's the same way for the people that you're, you've led to the Lord. You're over the Lord. People, God, people that, put, that God's put in your path for you to disciple and for them to be accountable to you. But man, if we run this race, if we live our life, if we serve God. And it's a bunch of grumbling and complaining and divisiveness. You say goodbye. It's going to be to all them rewards. It'll be a bad day at the judgment seat of Christ. And think of this, Miss Maddie and Carmelia Pian. I'm done. Think of this: an entire ministry wiped out, canceled out of any kind of eternal impact and eternal reward. Because of what? Complaining and arguing. Hmm. Complaining and arguing. Eternal rewards. Man, it seems like we ought to weigh that out just a little bit and think about it before we go around murmuring, before we go around starting disputes one with another. Is everybody okay? Just preaching the text, that's what he said. He said, I'd run in vain. This whole thing wiped out because you're complaining, you're arguing. Man, God help us. I'll tell you, let, me, let me show you the ant. We're going we're to peek over in chapter 4 real quick. Let me show you a little antidote here. Antidote to murmuring and complaining. Here it is. It's in verse 6. You ready? Philippians 4, 6. I love this verse. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Here's an idea. Instead of complaining about it, why don't you pray about it? I'm going to tell you something. Every one of us have problems. We've got some legitimate issues that come up in life. It's how we respond to those things. Murmuring has never solved anything. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't help anything. I'll tell you what does. Prayer. Supplication. And he said with what? With thanksgiving. Lord, I'm thankful for all that you've done. 
Lord, I'm thankful. Lord, I may not have this little thing that I'm worried about right now. What if those, what if those Israelites, instead of murmuring against Moses and against God, and, and said, well, we ought to just die in Egypt. We should have just went back. What if they stopped right there on the Red Sea and said, God, I don't know how you're going to make a way. But you're the one that brought it. Lord, I remember those flies. And I remember those locusts. And I remember that darkness. And I remember that blood. And I remember, oh, I remember the firstborn. And just the they just, they just, I mean, they just got done eating the Passover. God, I remembered everything you did back then. And I don't know what you're going to do right now, but I'm just going to stand here and trust you. And Lord, if we do die here at the Red Sea, Lord, at least we're not in Egypt anymore. Whew, what about that attitude? They get over there, they get across the Red Sea. I mean, God, that's <laughs> a Red Sea. I know we've heard it since forever, or some of us have. I mean, it just, oh yeah, you know, the Red Sea party. A sea party! Millions of people cross on dry land. And then God drowned Pharaoh and the whole Egyptian army. <laughs> Only to get on the other side. We're thirsty. God, you're going to kill us now, aren't you? Kill you? I just saved you. God didn't bring you out to let you die. What if instead of getting mad and complaining there, to run, we're thirsty, Mo, we're so thirsty. This water's bitter. Horrible. What if they said, Lord, you just took care of us there. We know you're going to do something. Lord, thank you, Lord, for what you did. And we're waiting on you to do what else needs to be done. Man, there's so many more things you do other than murmuring and complaining and arguing and fighting. How about be careful for nothing? I mean, don't be stressed out. Don't be anxious. Don't be full of care about any situation you find, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known. Instead of murmuring under your breath, why don't you whisper a prayer? God, I love you. Trust you. I know you're going to do something here. And if not, I'm still going to praise you no matter what. You're worthy of it. Why don't you whisper a prayer instead of whispering a bunch of complaints? Amen.